the Water Values Podcast, Session 91. Well, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. We're getting right to it today because today's guest and I spoke for about 10 minutes longer uh, than I promised him we would, and I'm very grateful for uh, him not cutting me off. Uh, And I wanted you to be able to hear the entirety of that conversation and not have to edit it at all. So uh, that means no takeaways at the end of uh, this podcast. And at the top here, I'll just say again, Happy Holidays to y'all. And please rate and review the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, or whatever other podcast directory you're listening in on. Uh, Today's guest is Wallace J. Nichols. He's a PhD and a marine biologist, and he found in his work what he calls Blue Mind. Uh, It's a fascinating concept, and uh, listen on to learn a great deal about Blue Mind and Wallace's work in this area. You're really going to enjoy it. Well, with that said, let's get to it. Open the valves, fasten your seatbelts, and here we go. Well, Wallace, thanks so much for coming on to the Water Values Podcast. Really appreciate your time today. Uh, For starters, could you give us a little on your background and how you got interested in water? Sure, yeah. Uh, Thanks for having me. I I love talking about water. And uh, I'm a marine biologist by training. And I think the, the reason why I became a marine biologist is because I fell in love with water and as a young person realized that I felt my best whenever I was near, in, on, or underwater and wanted to feel that way as much as possible. And looked around, asked around, and you know, career as a marine biologist sort of came to the top of the list as one of the possibilities. And I know there are many other routes uh, to spending time with water, but that's the one I picked and um, decided decided to become a marine biologist. And, you know, later, later on in my career, thinking about exactly that question, uh, I wondered about it. I wondered, you know, what, what is it about that feeling that, uh, about water that um, shaped, really shaped my life uh, in such a profound way. And uh, I wanted to learn more about that. And uh, so that's what I've been working on, I guess you say, you know, lately is the intersection between psychology and neuroscience and water. But it all began for me as a, you know, as a kid, uh, I, I think like a lot of kids, just really enjoying water in all of its forms, you know, lakes, rivers, oceans, pools, tubs, showers, baths, <laughs> water balloons, sprinklers, you name it, you know, the whole, the whole range. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so just say, where'd you grow up to to experience water like that? I grew up on the East Coast. I was born in New York City, grew up in New Jersey. Then we moved to Chicago. Um, but I was, I've always been interested in the blue, the blue parts of the map. You know, whenever we would be, you know, visiting a new place, I'd pull out the map and I'd look for the blue. You know, the the blue shade. Uh, so, you know, and and sometimes it was a a great lake, and sometimes it was a beautiful river, and. Uh, you know, when I lived in Indiana, which is something we shared, um, I, you know, explored, I think, every lake, river, and quarry in the state over the course <laughs> of my, my college career. And there, there are some great waterways in Indiana. And so even, you know, for a kid that wants to be a marine biologist, uh, find the water, you know, and get in it and muck around and, you know, see who else lives in that water and learn about it and and if it if it needs uh if it needs help help it you know do what you, do what you have to do uh to get in the water is i guess my my advice yeah so where has this path of uh, marine biology where's it taking you what are you doing now 
Well, from, from some pretty humble beginnings, like learning to scuba dive in, in the quarries of Indiana, which is a really excellent place to learn because every other dive for the rest of your life will probably be better. I think that's kind of a good, a good rule of thumb there. Uh, but I've, I've traveled the world um, studying sea turtles, working with coastal communities, uh, to, to better understand the ocean, to better understand animals, and then the work together to make sure that you know these animals are around forever. Um, I've gotten involved in lots, lots of interesting projects, ranging from you know fishing activities uh, to you know pollution, plastic pollution in the ocean, uh, to working with indigenous groups on conservation initiatives. And uh, it's, it's been a fantastic career, but really always with a water backdrop and typically salt water, uh, but not exclusively, uh, as, mm -hmm. you know, we'll talk about. Yeah. And and so uh, I think we could fill up hours and hours and even days if we if we talked about all your experiences uh, <laughs> with what you're doing. But uh, uh, you, you mentioned earlier that uh, as a, you know, as a kid uh, being, you know, near in on or underwater uh was always something that that brought you a lot of joy and, and you've kind of written a book on all that uh and the science behind it and so so tell us a little about the blue mind and what that means to you what you meant by saying you know blue mind and uh and and what your your findings are as a result of your your work yeah so the the phrase uh, the term blue mind refers to just that feeling that i think uh, most people know quite well, you know, that blissed out feeling, uh, that jump into the pool or the shower that just sort of hits your reset button and gets your creativity or, or singing voice activated or a bath at the end of a long day or, you know, a, a waterfront vacation or uh, experience. Um, so I call that that set of feelings blue mind, which is generally a, a more relaxed, more contemplative, sometimes creative but uh, disconnecting from what I would refer to as red mind, which is where we spend most of our time is just our, our on, activated, sometimes fast moving, sometimes stressed uh, mode. And I, I found, you know, in my own life and then talking to lots of people that water often facilitates that feeling. So I just came up with the term blue mind. And I wanted to read a book. I wanted to find a book that would describe this phenomenon that seems to be universal. And it wasn't in the library. I guess that's the short version of the story. <laughs> I, I, I searched for it. I searched out of print books. I searched other languages and it just hadn't been written. And then I tried to convince some other people to write it, some neuroscientists, psychologists, uh, a famous neurologist named Oliver Sacks. Uh, I pitched it to him, and and he said, "That's a fine idea. You do it." <laughs> and and so I did, and that took better part of five years. Um, oh, wow! Got and got that book done, um, and and it, it came out in 2014. Uh, and, and now I'm working on the sequel, or I guess the extension of it. And um, it's really it's it started a a needed con conversation, I would say, um, about the cognitive emotional, psychological, social, and spiritual benefits of healthy water in our lives. 
And again, that ranges from the water that comes out of the tap into the glass that you drink in the morning to the big giant Pacific Ocean and everything in between. Uh, our lives are wildly, massively enhanced when we re remember to take time, uh, to take time out usually, but to recreate and to bring our loved ones and our friends together around the water. Um, as, you know, the highlights of my life uh, often have a, a blue, you know, backdrop. Or sometimes it's green, sometimes it's muddy. But it, I, you know, I refer to all water as blue mind. And so that's that's kind of the concept, and and uh, it connects to so many things in so many great ways. And it, I think it fills a gap in the in the conversation among serious professionals. Who work with water, who have tiptoed around the, you know, the touchy-feely stuff for forever, you know, for our entire careers. We've been really careful uh, not to get kind of caught talking about the, you know, the soft stuff that's, you know, that didn't seem scientific or didn't seem appropriate for a group of engineers or serious decision makers. But when you bring the neuroscience to the table, uh, it becomes the hardest science in the room and really gets cool and really gets interesting. And so that's the, the, the conversation that I've, I've been involved with for the past uh, five years or so. Yeah, so, so tell us a little about that neuroscience. What, what in the neuroscience kind of proves this, this theory that you know, Blue Mind is, is very relaxing and uh, uh, soothing and, and yeah. all those well, I mentioned red mind earlier, and so that that's the place to start. So, uh, you know, think about your yourself when you're just going a thousand miles an hour, when your your you know your visual field is full. It's got a screen. It's got people. Maybe it's, it's full of several screens, computers or monitors. If you're working in in an office, you've got an you know these open floor plans, so you can hear a dozen people at least talking at the same time and you can see their screens and you've got deadlines and you've got meetings and you've got incoming text messages and emails and that's normal, right? That's, that's considered a normal kind of mellow day. Uh, add traffic, add, you know, other responsibilities, add social stressors, uh, you know, throw in an election or two into the mix, <laughs> and you've got uh, the makings for a pretty stressed out life, and and that's normal. That's that's what we we signed up for that. That's just life. And now that takes its toll, and we know from neurophysiologists that stress is implicated in sixty percent of the diseases afflicting modern humans. Sixty percent. That's most most illnesses and diseases connect to stress. All right, so reducing stress is a good thing, and there are lots of ways to do that. You know, you you can listen to your favorite music, put your feet up, read a book, watch TV, pour a drink. There are lots of ways to to reduce stress, and I found the best way involves water. And so, if you think about the neurophysiology of stress, there's just this one chemical called cortisol that's that's kind of the the thing the scientists measure and stress is really really important I'm not i'm not a 
saying stress is bad. It's good. It gets us gets us across the finish line, gets us out of trouble. We need it. But if it's if it's on all the time, and is impacting your sleep, uh, and impacting your ability to be creative, or to be empathetic, or to even be present with those you want to be present with, uh, it's not good. And so we want to reduce stress uh, efficiently, I guess you could say, and kind of on on command, if if you will. And and that's a you know. Often, you know, often for me, it, it involves water. So when you step up to the water, even when you start thinking about going to the water, your brain starts to move into a different mode. Uh, you can feel it, right? And if you can feel it, that means the chemistry in your body is changing. And, you know, cortisol levels drop. Uh, you may feel more, you know, serotonin or, or uh, oxytocin even, which are other neurochemicals uh, and that that euphoric feeling that you're after which you know allow, helps you relax is it's really important and it turns out it's it's not um, just about chilling out and blissing out but it's it's about connecting with the people you're with having better conversations uh, it's about connecting with your own thoughts uh, having clearer more creative thoughts uh, it's about solving problems uh, through that creative, innovative process. And none of those things can really happen when we're in that, that fight-or-flight mode. You know, poetry goes out the window straight away. Um, good conversations are, are shortened and diminished. And so, you know, this is it's a really simple idea, and I think we've all practiced it unknowingly uh, or even knowingly. But if you're, you know, if you're needing to have a really good conversation with someone at home or at work, try taking a walk and try taking a walk down to the closest body of water. That might be a lake or a river. It could even be an urban fountain. Uh, it could be a little waterfall in, in the lobby uh, of a building and just sit down by, by that water and, and try the conversation there uh, instead of in a, in a cubicle um, and see how that goes. So. You know, there's there's a, quite a bit of, of research on on the neuroscience of exercise, and you know, the short version is exercise is good for our brains. Uh, but if you can exercise near, in, on, or underwater, it's even better, right? And so, you know, a vacation is good. A vacation by water is better. Uh, balloons are fun. Water balloons are more fun. And so, you know, I kind of just encourage people to consider adding water to any situation and pay attention to how, how it changes that situation often changes things for the better. Yeah. So, so in terms of, uh, you know, that science, are there any kind of practical anecdotes or, or stories about how, uh, how being in near on or underwater, um, how that improves or how, you know, are there any, are there any, uh, I guess I'm trying to say, are there any, uh, you know, real, real good, hard data about, you know, that, that kind of helps prove this? Yeah. I mean, I, my book is full of the publications that, um, have been, been written about what is referred to as blue space. Um, 
So there, there's a big study uh, in the UK that showed that people who lived closer to the coast, closer to bodies of water, had significantly uh, higher levels of well-being, self-reported well-being, and based on on the the, the entire database of of health data for for the country. Um, that was a, a, a long-term study that looked at a lot of health data and even looked at people as they moved towards or away from the coast. And it found that you know, living by water um, leads to healthier lifestyles and a higher level of, of well-being and happiness. Um, we find that um, kids, at-risk youth in particular, uh, when they have a, an outdoor component to their lives, in particular, when they're connected to waterways. And it isn't just an ocean conversation. Uh, it's, it's rivers and lakes as well. Uh, there's a great program up in, up in northern Wisconsin called Northwest Passage that uh, takes care of kids that are, are considered you know, at risk and uh, kids that you know, society has pretty much given up on. And this is kind of their last chance. And they've started a program getting the kids uh, into the rivers, teaching them to snorkel, and getting them in wetsuits, and teaching them photography skills. And it sounds really simple and straightforward, and it, it turns out these, these kids have uh, a much better result than the kids that aren't uh, accessing the rivers of Wisconsin in terms of getting their lives on track. Uh, staying out of trouble, um, taking themselves more seriously. And, and probably the most important thing is learning how to manage their own stress. Uh, and that's, you know, that can't, can't be underemphasized in terms of, of, its, of its importance because I, I think our young people are dealing with um, so much more than we ever did in terms of information about the world, access to all kinds of you know, incoming um, influences, uh, technology facilitates that, and it's great. But our kids need need to need to take breaks, and there's no better better place to give your your brain a break uh, than in the water. Um, you know, I think that the emphasis is often on on hygiene and hydration when we talk about water. Uh, sometimes, you know, we talk about you know the, the economic benefits of of having having healthy waterways. We talk about the ecological benefits. I think it's also important to talk about the emotional benefits. And uh, you know, our, our our emotional lives are are based in in neurochemistry. And the more we understand uh, our own brains and how our emotions work. Uh, the better, because um, you know, if we don't if we don't understand our our own emotions, then we're giving that up to those who do, and the, that may be uh, neuromarketers or even neuropoliticians who uh, are studying the human brain and then using that information as a as a way to to influence us. So, I, I think it, you know the the conversation about starts with water, but for me, it extends uh, to a much bigger realm, which is is basically a, you know empowering people to to understand their own their own bodies and their own minds and and to use that knowledge as a as a force for good yeah
Yeah, yeah, you know it's it's really interesting as you were as you were talking. I was uh, I found the Northwest Passage story really interesting about the kids because um, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of Malcolm Gladwell and he's he's got a, his podcast called Revisionist History, and he did a three part piece within that within that podcast and it was about education. And one of the things they they said was you got to get these kid these at risk kids. Uh, who are really smart, you got to get them out of that toxic environment yeah. at an, at a really early age. And I just found the the connection you had you you mentioned with with getting these uh, these these youth out of the, their environments and near water. Um, I, it's just fascinating how those might interrelate. Um, I, I just think that that could be that could be really something to 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 help our you know youth. Uh, you know, kind of de-stress and, and become better citizens. And, and uh, it'd be, I just think that's uh, something interesting. Um, what, uh, some other evidence, I've, I've seen you speak twice now. Yeah. Uh, and one of the things that I thought was fascinating was you, you, you've had slides about home prices and uh, how they are impacted by their proximity to water. And so could you, I just think that's a really interesting uh, component of, of uh, your talk. So could you, could you tell us a little about about your findings regarding home price and proximity to water? Yeah, so I wondered, you know, I wondered, well, where where does the rubber hit the road here? If you know, if being by water uh, makes us feel better, where's the, you know, where's the signal in our in our economic lives that would would prove that out? And so I looked into into real estate, and I figured, okay, well, I know that waterfront properties, you know, are more valuable. Uh, than non-waterfront properties, but let's see what what the data say. And it turns out that nationwide, it's a, nearly a 50% premium on all real estate if it's waterfront. And so that's all real estate and all kinds of water. So this is this includes the you know the lakes and rivers of Indiana in in the study, all the way out to the coastlines. And so, of course, there are going to be hot spots where the premium is is extreme. So, there's you know one beach in California called Del Mar, where it's from the first row, between the first row and the second row, there's a thousand percent premium. That's a ten times, ten times more valuable from the second row to the first row. And the second, I mean, the second row is when I say second row, I mean like the house behind the house that faces the ocean. So we're talking a matter of yards to the to the beach, and that's almost waterfront. But there's a thousand percent premium from the second row jumping up to the first row. That's that's incredible. So you, if it's a million dollar house in the second row, it's a ten million dollar house in the front row. And so that really there there you go right you know right there yeah. from 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 that fifty percent premium nationwide to that thousand percent premium. In these hot spots, along you know, typically along along the ocean, um, what is that? And it turns out, when you talk to people, they if they can afford it, or even if they can't, in some cases, they want that feeling, even if it's a thousand percent premium, even if nine million dollars out of that ten million dollar price tag is for the view, is for the feeling. And if you ask people, well, what what are you paying for really? They don't know. That's their answer. But they really like it. And so 
it's a fascinating situation where people are, people are willing to spend so much more to have that feeling, but they don't really understand it. And they know they want it. And it, that premium, the premium, not, not the house, but not the lot, not the land, you know, not, not the physical aspect, but the emotional aspect that is built into that premium may be the single biggest financial transaction of their life. So think about that, that the, the thing they spend more money on than anything else over their entire life is a feeling that they want so badly that they're willing to pay you know, a, a lot more for it. And so that's, to me, that's, you know, that's maybe some of the most compelling evidence that this is, this is a, a driver of, of our lives. Um, and it still, it works, it works just as well in a restaurant. You're going to pay more for dinner and a glass of wine if it's overlooking the ocean and, and you're going, you know, and people will pay that, yeah. you know, they'll, they'll, they'll pay extra for, for dinner with a view. They'll pay extra f for a room with a view. If you're checking into a hotel on vacation, they say, well, we got, we got this great room, all the amenities facing the parking lot out back, and it's a beautiful room. And they say, well, we have the exact same room, and it faces the ocean, the lake, the river out front. Otherwise, they're exactly the same. But the Waterview one costs 40% more per night. People will take it. Right. Even yeah. though they're going to be mostly asleep <laughs> while they're in, while they're in the room, even though they could walk around the corner from the parking lot side very easily and sit in the public space and enjoy the water. Uh, they they will pay 40 percent more for that feeling. Uh, and so, you know, the examples abound uh, kind of everywhere, whether it's, you know, restaurants or or in in, in uh, or real estate. And vacation real estate or just, you know, uh, residential real estate. Um, and the thing that, that also is clear that if that water goes bad, if that river is dead, if that ocean is sad, that premium goes away real fast. Yeah. So yeah. it's, it isn't just any kind of water. If, if the water smells bad, if the water looks bad. Uh, if there's pollution washing up every day, that premium becomes a uh, uh, something people will not pay for, obviously, but it, it goes it goes negative. Uh, it becomes a, a cost uh, to the to that property value. And so, if you think about it, take all those premiums and add them up, we're talking you know a trillion dollar premium globally easily, and uh, and that's based on a feeling that's very poorly understood. Uh, up until relatively recently, and so that's you know when you when you ask for like, where's the where's the science, where's the economics, where's the data? Well, that's a really good place to find it. Yeah, and uh, and uh, and fascinating, really. Uh, you know, if you if you're next time you're on a on an airplane or or traveling, pull out the in-flight magazine or a travel magazine and just count the number of images of water. Um, the entire travel industry rests on selling this feeling, this blue mind feeling. Uh, sometimes half the pages 
uh, half of the editorial pages and advertising in a an in-flight magazine will, will will depict water. Uh, and there's a there's a really good reason for that. It sells. That's what people want <laughs> <laughs> when they're when they're taking a break when they want to go on vacation. They they want some water nearby. Yeah. Uh, they have this imagined idea that I'm 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 getting getting away, and I'm going to go hang out by the water. I'm going to maybe take a swim, uh, maybe learn to surf, maybe get in a boat, maybe uh, sit by the water and have dinner, um, or float just float around. Yeah. And so right. there's a perception that that's that's the path to to giving your your brain a rest. You know, right. And and I think one of the other fascinating components of this is is because, you know, people are willing to pay more to be around water. I think governments and kind of real estate developers have kind of tapped into that. And you're seeing more um, urban planning initiatives that are based around water. Uh, I'm involved in one right now. We're doing a big, big project. There's going to be redevelopment down by the, the river that runs uh, through town here. And um, it's uh, it, it's fascinating because the dollars involved, you'd never think of seeing those kinds of dollars in a small town, but they're uh, they're big. And have you? I'm just kind of curious. Have you seen much of that urban planning uh, around water starting to take off? Yeah, we did. A, we did a whole conference in Washington D.C., and the theme of it was urban blue, and it was all about exactly what you're describing about bringing the urban waterfronts of the world really uh, back to life and in working to, you know, this, you know, take an example like Pittsburgh used to be, you know, there's, there's two great rivers coming together right there in downtown Pittsburgh. It used to be that people basically turned their back to the river, the rivers, and the, it wasn't a place to go and hang out. Certainly uh, it was nasty and, there, there, there they were, you know, coming together right, right there, you know, right downtown Pittsburgh. And in the past, I'd say 10 years, a little bit longer, the waterfront culture and life in downtown Pittsburgh has been transformed. And it's changed the city. Absolutely. And, you know, what you're describing um, in terms of the, the dollars involved, in terms of the, the energy going into it, in terms of uh, revitalization and um, the social side of things, the emotional parts of it. Uh, kids are now getting in kayaks downtown Pittsburgh and paddling, pushing off, and paddle, learning to paddle. Um, it's not a, a pristine, you know, river situation where you want to, uh, you know, get a lot of that water in your mouth necessarily. But it's coming along, and we're seeing that really all over the world. Uh, towns and cities are are taking back their waterfronts uh, instead of turning their back on their rivers they're saying this is awesome let's put a let's put a you know a a, a trail uh, a you know a, a river trail uh, along the shores or uh, a lakefront trail and let's back up a little bit and create more value in this area and it's it's economic value, but it's also emotional value. It's a place for people to gather. Um, and what we see, you know, again, the, the Pittsburgh example, people go down to the river and propose to each other. You know, they, they, they promise their love for life to each other in front of the river. 
uh, and then they come back and they get married there uh, or they gather to uh, remember a lost loved one and scatter ashes um, first dates happen you know on the rivers uh, and the waterfronts and uh, and last goodbyes and it's uh, it, it there's no replacement for that uh, there's there's no other place those people want to go other than right next to the water to have those kinds of interactions. And it's the same for parents with kids. It's, it's a place to play. Uh, it's a, a place to let your mind wander. It's, the, it's a place to let, you know, problems get resolved and unravel uh, knots in your head. Uh, it's a place for hard conversations or uh, important ones. And uh, it's such a gift uh, to a community to fix uh, the waterfront if it's broken, if it's uh, if it's a an old, rundown industrial mess that nobody can access. When you come in and fix that, uh, you're not just you know promoting economic vitality. You're you're promoting emotional vitality, and that's and that's blue mind. That's kind of the you know the the point of the spear right there is. Uh, Let's do it, you know. Let's let's fix what's broken and and make our our towns and our cities healthier uh, from from end to end, you know, from from birth to death. Uh, accessing, you know, the rivers and the lakes and and the oceans and the beaches uh, is really important. And uh, let's teach our kids all about that and say, you know, if you have a really really bad day at school, just come down to the water. And, and jump in it <laughs> or go for a paddle or just look at it, listen to it. Or if your relationship is, is having a hard time, bring your honey down to the water. Uh, or if you think you're going to, you know, blow your top and get, get into some kind of conflict, come down and chill out by the water. Uh, it may, it may work. It may not. Um, but it's one tool in your toolbox of how to manage your life. And um, if the river is not accessible, then that tool isn't available. And, and uh, if kids don't know how to swim, then that tool is not available. If they don't know, you know, which end of the paddle goes in the water, uh, then that's not accessible. So, you know, I, I think the bigger goal that I have is, is to make it all accessible so that um, we can live, live better lives. And uh, anything that's, Anything that's standing between us and that access uh, needs to be broken down and, and opened up. And, uh, and it's great to hear, you know, from you that that's like, you know, that's happening. That's happening in my backyard. It's happening in your backyard. And I imagine anybody listening could find an example in their backyard of, um, you know, more access to Blue Mind in, in progress, whether it's a pool being built or a waterfront being restored, or an access point being built, or a ramp, uh, or a ladder, or some some component, uh, it, it's uh, it's happening. It's really exciting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, powerful stuff that you've you've kind of uh, developed this you know this model and theory about how water um, helps us. How are you expanding that? You said you're you're working on a, a kind of a sequel to Blue Mind. What can you give us a sneak preview of what's coming up? 
Yeah, the next, so I, I got to the end of writing Blue Mind and I felt like I had more to say. And since the book came out the past two years, there's been even more, you know, say, really cool research. And, you know, the, the basic idea has, has gotten even stronger in terms of the, you know, the, the peer review studies. And so uh, I felt I had it in me to, to write a, a follow-up book. And so the next book is called Go Deeper. And basically takes this idea and, and go, <laughs> we go deeper into it. Uh, but I've broken it up into something that I, I call the seven ages of water, which starts at birth and goes through death and just walks us through um, a, human, a human life uh, from you know, childhood through middle age and then and later in life and then death. And, but looks at it all through the lens of water. And, you know, I consider, you know, birth and water as well as play as kids, you know, the, uh, some of the highlights of our, our play relate to water. Uh, and then, you know, in through our middle years, our romance, uh, our, our, you know, when, when we're fighting hard for what we believe in, water is a, a calming agent or a cooling agent. And then uh, in, you know, in the long kind of productive years of our lives, uh, we need water as a place to go and just chill out because, you know, we're, uh, you know, I, I guess I speak speak for us right now. We're we're carrying more responsibility than we had been, and then probably than we will be later in life. So we, in our with our families and our in our work and our businesses and our communities, you know, through these this long sort of middle age, uh, we carry a lot of responsibility, and that can be stressful. You know, for the reasons we discussed earlier, and so water is a good place to go and just um, make sure we're taking care of ourselves. And then, of course, as our bodies start to break down later in life, water is very good, very good uh, for therapy uh, when gravity starts to become our enemy uh, because our knees and our hips and our joints are are screaming at us. Uh, getting in the water is 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 a really good place to move. Um, and then, of course, at, at end of life, remembering um, those those who have have left and passed away uh, by the water is is something that I I find as a, a common theme across the country and around the world. Um, water is a back often a backdrop for for memorialization as well as grieving. Um, people people um, find that going to, down to the water and just uh, letting it hang out, you know, crying it out or screaming even, uh, in, you know, screaming at the water, I guess, is a, one way to process uh, uh, that, that set of emotions. Um, and not, not unusual, turns out. You know, people don't like to talk about death very much, but when you get into it, uh, you find that water is a, an important part of that process uh, for a lot of people. And so that's, you know, I call it the seven ages of water. Um, which is a phrase I borrow from Shakespeare, Seven Ages of Man, which comes from uh, the play As You Like It, There's a passage uh, called The Seven Ages of Man that begins with the line, all the world is a stage. And so that's kind of where the book begins with, is with that concept. Um, and uh, it's, it's been a really fun project to work on because that, that structure is so, such a strong backbone. And uh, 
uh, whereas Blue Mind was, I was, I was kind of launching into a very new, very wide, multidisciplinary uh, endeavor. Um, this this sequel feels like it has a uh, a really strong core to it, in that the, the concept of Blue Mind has been established, and now I've got this uh, really appealing framework, being the seven ages of water, uh, to work with. So that's the that's what I'm working on right now, trying to get it done. Uh, well, I'd say not within the calendar year, but within the uh, so the academic year, get it out and get it published. And um, like Blue Mind, I think it it will it will resonate. And uh, Blue Mind's been translated to a dozen languages and formats, and just came came out in Chinese. Uh, so we're, you know, we're really. Um, I'd say our goal is to is to change the conversation about water, uh, to to update it, or upgrade it, uh, to include the the great new science and insights that are coming from, uh, you know, neurologists and neuropsychologists, and uh, and to to give that information to uh, everybody, you know, everybody with a brain who loves water. <laughs> Yeah. Which is a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'm, uh, so I, I really look forward to uh, to seeing Go Deeper come out, and uh, I, I'm sitting here with my copy of Blue Mind here, and and I notice uh, when you signed it for me, you put um, I wish you water, and so can you just tell us a little bit about you know why, where you came up with that, and why you put that in in uh, when you're signing books? Yeah, it's you know it just sort of came out. Um, as a uh, a greeting, I guess, or a sign off, um, wishing somebody water, I think is maybe one of the one of the nicest wishes you could you could offer uh, for all the reasons we're we're talking about and, and more. Um, you know, by by wishing somebody water, you're wishing them peace and happiness and solitude and fun and maybe exercise and you're wishing them health and vitality and, you know, relaxation and maybe romance. And, uh, but it's such a simple, you know, to say, I wish you water is so simple yet so full of, of all of those things. And, and I, I, I like the phrase, <laughs> I like the phrase a lot and it, and, uh, and it, you know, and that's my that is my wish for you and and for everyone. But it as as you read the book, uh, perhaps you unpack what that wish entails, uh, and certainly it with the next book, you'll unpack that even further. And you know, I think our our shared hope is that uh, people will understand what a what that wish means uh, and leaders and parents and kids will, will really understand it and know that, wow, you know, that is something they want, they want to, to have, you know, available wherever they are, uh, the wish of water and, uh, and recognizing that there are times when we don't, you know, the things that happen uh, that restrict our access to, to healthy, clean water. Uh, 
and that we then at, at those moments need need to fight back uh, and work hard to bring um, to bring water back uh, into our lives. Um, so that's yeah, that's a, that's what I mean by that. Is, uh, <laughs> that's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Well, you know, I apologize for keeping you longer than I in- indicated I would, Wallace. So uh, no for, uh, for, for those folks who want to find out more about you, about Blue Mind and uh, your other endeavors, where can they go to find that information? Um, I've got a, a website and, and blog. It's my name, wallacejnichols.org. Uh, um, but I, I think the other way to do it is just um, to go on Google and Google Blue Mind uh, Google any any aspect of this conversation, and it it um, it, it doesn't it certainly doesn't all involve me. There's so many people working in so many parts of the world in so many ways on 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 this topic. Uh, so other terms to look for would be blue health, uh, blue gym, G Y M, uh, blue space, blue urbanism. Um, Kind of goes on and on, but I I think there's a there's a very rigorous growing blue movement um, underway uh, to be to create this you know inclusive, collaborative, creative, uh, cutting edge conversation about the the true value of of water in our lives. And uh, so um, my website's easy to find, but there's a much much uh, richer, bigger conversation going on out there. That you can you can uh, poke around and, and and find the way it connects with with your own work, um, and then and jump in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Wallace, again, thank you so much. You've been absolutely fantastic, uh, and really appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. Right. Thank you very much. You bet. Bye. Well, that was my conversation with Wallace J. Nichols. I hope you found it as fascinating as I did. He was he was absolutely terrific. I really appreciated his time. Um, as I indicated, uh, no takeaways today because of the length of the interview, but thank you all for, for continuing to listen. I really appreciate all of you. I hope you each have a happy holiday, Merry Christmas, or whatever celebration you're having uh, this holiday season. I hope you have a fantastic one. In closing, as always, water is our most valuable resource, so please join me by going out into the world and acting like it. Listening to the Water Values Podcast. Thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me. Thank you for tuning into the disclaimer. I'm a lawyer licensed in Colorado and Indiana, and this podcast does not establish an attorney client relationship with you or anyone else. And information in this podcast should not be considered legal advice. Further, this podcast is not a solicitation for professional employment. I'm just a lawyer who finds water issues interesting and who believes greater public education about water issues is necessary. And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.